they told me, man, you know, I really like what you wrote because it was a, because you were able to crystallize what, you know, you were able to crystallize the kind of research that we do and the kind of like clinical kaboom stuff that we do into words that, and language that people understand. It really wasn't until that happened that I thought like, you know what, that's, I, because that's who, because that's what I wanted to do. That's what I've really wanted to, you want to write stuff that people read and get something from. So my time at Johns Hopkins was incredible. And I've gone on record and saying it wasn't because of the work. No offense. It's just that I'm not a science guy. However, I work with some of the best people in the world. People I still call friends and family. Today's guest is somebody who was essentially a big brother. The one and only Patrick Smith. Patrick and I connected because we're both diehard sports fans. So whenever there was like breaking news, I would always go to his office and like, hey man, did you hear this? Did you hear that? Etc. He also helped me understand how to make the job fun, right? As far as writing about the medicine and finding these opportunities to learn about the great things that the doctors were doing. And he was somebody who advocated for me to upper management. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited for you to hear my conversation. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Smith. All right, ladies and gentlemen, on today's episode, I am so excited because I got a good friend of mine, somebody who, when I was at Johns Hopkins Medicine, he was the person that I could go to about everything. One, I had somebody in the office to talk sports with, so that was a plus. But then when I had some ideas and I needed to tie it to real life or I didn't understand the medicine part of it, he could break it down for me. Or simply, when I just needed to vent, he was always there, never hesitated, always spoke up for me. And as the one and only, the Patrick Smith. Patrick, how you doing today? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm doing great, man. I'm so glad to be with you. Man. I'm going to check a box now. I've been all breaking through glass ceilings. <laughs> oh, man, come on now. You got, you got a lot of boxes that you've checked out. I, I can't wait to talk about it, man. But before we get started, how you been? I know it's been, wow. So, woo. What, 2020? <laughs> this is the last time we like saw each other. No, yeah, yeah, 2020 or 2021, maybe in the flesh. Um, I think, I think you, you very kindly dropped everything when I, when I was like, Brian, man, I need a headshot. Quick, I need a professional <laughs> headshot. We met over it in the middle of the pandemic. I think we met over it, yeah, in Lake Montebello. And like, you that took was my picture, an and I'm honor, like, trying man. to, it was sweat, you know, was like, I was like, trying to. It was a hot day. But anyway, yeah, I think that was the last time we were actually together, though we only live across town from each other. So. I know, right? <laughs> we yeah. will definitely fix that soon. But how we you are, been? We are, because Camden Yards is close to both of us. I've been great, man. Um, life is, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Um, <laughs> I have everything. I'm, I'm so happy. I, and, you know, this book that's coming out here just came out last week. Um, it's something we worked on for a long time. Just things are good, man. Um, I did. I just finished up a stint of uh, doing some speech writing mm -hmm. for some of the executive types at uh, Johns Hopkins Medicine, and that was um, that was terrific. There's really new, a lot of new kind of new blood and new ideas and stuff. So it's um, I feel like I feel like I'm I've got I just got everything in life, man. I hope you're doing well too. I see yeah. you living the dream, man. I <laughs> yeah. See I'm blessed, man. And, you know, one of the many reasons why I love doing this podcast is, you know, one, selfishly to reconnect and have an excuse to talk to my friends, but unselfishly to show them off to the world, you know, <laughs> being able to, you know, show everybody who I'm connected to and all the great things that y'all are doing. So I'm super excited, you know, to show everybody why, like, when I tell people I worked at Johns Hopkins, they'd be like, oh, really? How was it? And I said, well, honestly, it was like one of the best places ever. And it sure wasn't the work for me. I mean, I was terrible in science. No. But 
you can not understand the work, but you can work with a great group of people who can just make your life amazing. And, you know, you are included in that group. So that means the world, Brian. I appreciate that a lot. And, you know, I'm nobody's idea of a scientist either. You know, Um, I mean, I'm a writer and I think I told you, I just like to, I love to learn, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, since, since this is the, you know, we, we live in Baltimore and in Baltimore, Johns Hopkins is, is kind of the king, right? Yep. And, um, so, so, you know, you kind of adapt your skills a little bit to what the market needs. And, uh, and so that's just, you know, that's, so you learn how to read a, a science journal and learn how to untangle all the, the kind of, you know, really, really dense words and dense sentences and passive voice and all the stuff that scientists <laughs> do in their writing. Um, and then, you know, try to make it palatable and interesting because it's fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just tell somebody, you know, like, dude, they just did X, Y, Z, like that is cool. But if you go, you know, if you just, if you tell it like a scientist or a doctor tells it, it's not, it doesn't sound as much fun, but <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's fact. Um, let's start with education. You um, went East Carolina University in Towson. When did you know communications was for you? Well, I think, you know, I started, I was, I mean, I think writing has always been kind of my, my, um, I don't know how to say it exactly. It's kind of the, the, you know, the cornerstone of, of everything. And I thought that, and so I was, a um, yeah, at EC, East Carolina and at Towson, um, I was a, an English major and somebody told me early on, I think I was a freshman at ECU and somebody said, well, you know, cause I said, I want to go into journalism. And they said, you know, think about English because, you know, if you're, if you take, if you take up journalism, they'll teach you how to write a news story. But if you take up English, they'll teach you how to write and you can, mm-hmm. you know, and news stories can become part of that stuff. But, um, but other things too, you know? Um, so I always, I always figured that, you know, if I didn't, <laughs> if I didn't wind up in trouble somewhere, uh, then I would somehow try to make a living as a writer. And, um, and yeah, I managed, you know, I was a bad, bad student and we've talked about that before. <laughs> um, just, you know, it, I didn't really know how to learn and things like that. I managed to get, I managed to somehow get into college and then managed to somehow graduate from college. Um, had a lot of fun. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, just, uh, I, I always just thought writing was going to be, what I did. And it's, it's kind of what I've stuck to for my whole career. Thank and, you. <laughs> now you've done some cool stuff though. Like, you know, writing, you know, a lot of press for, in politics and, you know, we talked about medicine, but can you talk about the political experience. Yeah. <clears throat> I started as a newspaper reporter at the Dundalk Eagle. Um, mm-hmm. That was my first job out of, out of Towson. And, um, I was pretty sure I was going to get hired by the Washington Post or, you know what I mean, maybe the Baltimore Sun. And my buddy, I remember my buddy had been a really good friend of mine, Matt McLaughlin, um, who he was, a, he had been a sports writer at Towson. He'd, re- he'd covered Towson basketball. So like the years that they went to the NCAA tournament, which was a very long time ago. Um, so he, you know, he covered them and stuff. So he graduated like a semester before me. And he was like, he called me up and he was like, hey, Smitty. I got a, I got a job in my field, in our field. I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm a reporter. And I was like, wow, dude, where? And he said, the Dundalk Eagle. And I was like, oh, that's great. You know? <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then truly six months later, I was like, yo, Matt, is the Eagle hiring? <laughs> Cause <laughs> I need a job. And, you know, yeah. So I, I got that. And naturally the sports beat was already taken because Matt was, Matt was there. Mm-hmm. So they gave me, um, they gave me crime, like crime and courts and politics. Okay. And politics, politics in Dundalk and East Baltimore is more interesting than sports in East Baltimore. <laughs> and so I got to cover um, some pretty interesting stuff, uh, the county council and the city council and, the, and in Annapolis and in Washington. Um, and I, I interviewed the county executive, the Baltimore county executive, and a couple of days later, and he liked the story that I wrote. 
And a couple of days later, his, his press guy called and said, Hey, how'd you like to come work for us? And wow. I was like, well, yeah, it was, I mean, it was an incredible honor, mm-hmm. you know, but I said, well, you know, I appreciate it, but I really see myself as a newspaper man. Um, and they're paying the old man at the paper is paying me 12,000 bucks every year. <laughs> and the guy was like, I think we can do a little better than that. <laughs> and I was, and I said, really? So I think, I think I wound, I made like $30,000. Honestly, it, sh- it could have been a million. I thought, right. what? I went from 12 <laughs> to 30? Like what? So I didn't realize how underpaid I was at the paper. That's so but, funny. I love that you said that because, you know, people are going to listen to this. And that's the thing that a lot of times people don't think is, you know, just the, they'll know, okay, I'll ask that question, you know. Before just turning it down, like, well, how much are you going to pay me? You know, um, and you can see clearly you was grateful. Like, you know, it wasn't like you were rude, but you was grateful, enjoying the job that you're doing. But now he's like, well, how about we give you some more? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he was, you know, I was, I was young. I mean, I think I was maybe 25 or 26. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, he, (laughs) he was patient with me. And I think he probably, I, I, I think he probably thought like, this poor kid, he didn't know up from down, you know, maybe I don't know what, maybe I don't really want to hire him if he's that green, but nah, he did hire me. And, um, and it was, it was, I learned a lot. I learned a ton in that world. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and it's, you know, the thing that I had, that I learned first though, was, um, that, you know, suddenly, you know, all the friends I had, or not all the friends, but a lot of the friends that I had when I was a reporter, Mm -hmm weren't calling me back anymore. I remember there was this dude from the police union who used to call me like once a week and he'd, you know, say like, Hey, you want to go get a beer? Or, Hey, you want to hang out? You know, you want to do this and that. And I just, what I didn't realize was, Oh, wait a minute. He's doing that. Cause I'm a reporter. Not cause he thinks I'm a cool mm-hmm. guy. And, um, and wow. so that was a, yeah, that was a, that was an eye opener that I thought like, Oh, I see. I mean, it sounds so obvious, Brian, but you know, if you don't know it and if you don't have the experience, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you just assume people's motives are what they appear to be. Right. So, yeah. so I, yeah, I, I mean, I, so I hung with a, a couple of Baltimore County executives and um, learned a lot. And then I went, I, I got invited to apply for a job with Senator Mikulski in Washington. And that was, um, down like in the cat you know in the heart office building which is right next to the u.s capitol and that was a just a spectacular experience and um you know i didn't want to do it for very long because it's a terrible commute and the stress is like no other stress in the world that i've experienced yeah it's rough it's rough and plus you know i live like i said you and i don't live far far apart and so Mm -hmm. driving and you could, I wasn't allowed to take the train to DC, so I had to drive back and forth every day. So it was really, yeah, 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 because you know, you never know how late the Senate is going to go when they're in session. Um, oh, true. It's not like that's not the kind of job where, you know, at five o'clock you walk out and go, okay, see you later, everybody. <laughs> I did, I think I did that the first couple days, and uh, the senator was walking in. She, I, she saw me walking out with my bag over my shoulder, and she was like, eh. Turn around, dude. <laughs> Sit down, turn around. We ain't done. It's like, ah, okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, I did freelance and stuff after that. I wrote for the National Governors Association, worked with a lot of governors. And, um, I, you know, politics was really, was really great. And mm-hmm. I was kind of, I'd been, I'd been kind of one of the reasons my college grades weren't so good is because I was paying more attention to being an activist than I was a student. So mm. we were doing, you know, we were protesting and, and, mm. you know, making noise about, you know, things like apartheid and Central America and a lot of the, um, a lot of the issues of the eighties. That's when I went to college. And so we were kind of, you know, rabble rousers and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so I always, that was always kind of my roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why it felt, that's why it felt natural to go right into politics, you know, from, yeah. from working at the paper. I'm going to say something that uh, could be taken as controversial. Okay. And, and and if you tell me to take this out, I will. No, yeah. <laughs> but the one thing that I've always loved about you, um, 
was when we work together, we're talking woo, around, you know, the days where Alton Sterling got killed and yeah. Philando Castile. Yeah. And between you and Justin, and if y'all watching, y'all can clearly see I'm black and Patrick's white. <laughs> uh, y'all always made sure just to do mental checks on me. And it's something I always appreciated. And, you know, I definitely want to say that publicly. You know, it, it wasn't a thing where it was cool. You just say it because it was cool, you know, or it was trendy, you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. Y'all always made sure that, you know, and it made me feel good about coming to work and feeling like, okay, I got friends, not just coworkers, you know. And, yeah. and it's the reason why we're talking right now, you know. So it's like when you say, like, you was being an activist, I'm... It, it's not like, oh, really? It's like, of course you was. Like, <laughs> this is what you do, and you remain true to yourself, you know? And, you know, um, I'm pretty sure she won't get mad if I say this. You know, like, me and Chinapa would always talk about how you've always, like, treated us with fairness and respect, you know? Well, you know, I mean, we're all people. I appreciate it, and I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to thank you, you know? I, that's, it means the whole world, truly, because... To me, there is nothing more important than that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, wh whatever whatever is different about us is pretty minor. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, you know, you and I could chop it up for hours and hours. And, and that's a topic that would never come up. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Just because of who we are. And, right. Um, just because, you know, yeah, that would be about the last thing that would come up in a casual conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, just, you know, where we live and the times we live in, it's just important to, it's just, it's, it's, it, it's important for me to, you know, have my, make my, let my friend, check in on my friends and let them know that whatever they, you know, if I can help at all. Cause here's the other thing, right? I said, I told you a minute ago what a terrible student I was. Mm -hmm. um, and I understand, I think you and I have talked about this. I understand kind of the luxury that I understand now the luxury that I enjoyed and didn't know that I enjoyed as somebody who could get a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth chance, you mm -hmm. know, just because of how I look and who I am. Um, not who I am because of how I look. Um, and that's not true for everybody. And mm -hmm. so, you know, anybody who doesn't acknowledge that, I think like, I don't know. They're you're missing. They're missing something pretty, pretty important. Um. So anyway, man, I appreciate that. That no, appreciate it, you, that, brother. That's it. That to me, that's like, I that makes me just that makes me know. Okay, I mm -hmm. I can rest easy at night. You know, <laughs> no facts. Friends, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. What up? It's your boy Blue Magic on the For You Wear and one half of the Mixed Tag Show. Now, I know you've seen the announcement from some of your favorite podcasts in the wrestling. I've decided to expand my business to become a vendor so that people from the wrestling community have a better way to communicate with some of their favorites. So check out foyourware.com and see if your favorite podcast on wrestling has partnered up with me. If not, let them know that they should. Also, if you're looking for a vendor for your merchandise, reach out to me at Blue Magic Ground Spellhouse Sound on Twitter or Instagram or at foyourware, F-O-R-U-R-W-E-A-R on Twitter and on Instagram. Shout out to Brian H. Waters and Breaking Through Glass Stones. Their merchandise are already up, and they're one of the first ones that supported. So go support them. All right? Peace. When did you decide, like, you wanted to get into healthcare? Because it's a whole different... So it's a lot of things that, you know, are sort of the same. But it's also, you know, a lot of differences. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. Well, kind of like I was saying, you know... Um, you, you know, you, you, you adapt to the market. Mm -hmm. um, like I didn't want to drive to DC every day. Cause you know, in DC there's jobs falling off the trees, you know, communications jobs that, that people, you know, I mean, the, the people around here would do for not much money because they're cool jobs, but it's, it, but they're in Washington, you know? So if you're not feeling like the commute, so yeah, you just kind of bend a little bit to um, learn and, and, and make yourself marketable. I had been um, at like after I left politics, uh, I was start. I worked for nonprofits, um, mm -hmm. and I worked for the Red Cross and I worked for the United Way. I was a communications director uh, 
at the United Way, like um, Central Maryland. And, uh, you know, it was cool, but I was looking for something a little more, a little more grassroots, a little more hands-on, a little more direct service. Okay. And so um, a job opened up at an agency that we, um, that United Way supported, and it was called the People's Community Health Centers. And again, I thought like, man, this is a cool way to kind of get back to the activism and, and, you know, what's important kind mm -hmm. of, um, cause you know, along the way I'd try to, I tried working, I, I thought like, all right, now it's time to make some money after the nonprofit stuff. And I went to work for an ad agency and that lasted like less than a year because my clients were just awful. Oh, and like, man. I was promoting stuff that I didn't believe. Mm -hmm. And it just, I just thought I, I can't do that. So yeah, the people, when, when, when people's community health centers came up, um, you know, they were founded by the, founded by the Panther, Black Panthers in the, in the sixties and early seventies here, right here in Baltimore on Greenmount Avenue at, at uh, like 30th street. And, um, and uh, like a lot of other kind of coalitions with, you know, like kind of, uh, activist coalitions. So they, they had this really wonderful kind of rich and, um, and radical roots history that I thought sounded great. You know, they provided healthcare for the poorest people, you know, really the most impoverished and, and most underserved folks in town. Um, they had a hard go of it because we, the people's had a hard go of it. I was there for seven or eight years and we were like broker than broke. And, oh, wow. About with, you know, and, and I started to, after a while, it got, it, it just kind of wore me down, you know? I, my mm -hmm. heart was always with the, the work and with the job and with the people that we've served. But, um, you know, it was like they started having some pretty bad financial problems. So that's when I took the Hopkins job. And um, oh. and, and that was a mind blower because I was like, I mean, I was coming from a place where we were like, hey, don't use that whole pencil. You know what I mean? Don't sharpen that <laughs> yeah. pencil too much because we're broke. You know, <laughs> it was worrying about little stuff like printers and things. Um, mm -hmm. And then I got to Hopkins and it was like, what? We have so much money. So um, the resources were a little different. But anyway, and then Peoples went under. Um, finally, it did sort of succumb to the financial problems. Um, uh. So, but anyway, I mean, I got into healthcare, I think that way, you know, through through, um, you know, caring, you know, being interested in care for the underserved and, you know, kind of making healthcare equity and equality a, a real thing. Um, and when I got to Hopkins, the cool thing is that, you know, for as giant and, and rich as Hopkins is, um, Hopkins Medicine is doing some pretty good stuff um, mm -hmm. in the in the in the arena of of. Um, you know, closing gaps and, and health equity and things like that. I mean, it's not, a, it's by no means a perfect organization and there, you know, probably are no such organizations, but um, this is, so the, I got to, I got to do a whole lot of the same kind of work I'd been doing at Peoples when I got to Hopkins because Hopkins wanted to show, wants to show that it's a good neighbor in, in East Baltimore. Um, mm -hmm. And so I got to cover and write about a lot of really cool initiatives and, projects and doctors and stuff who are doing just just super important work here in the city now, so that's the, i mean that's a long uh, way around how i how i got into healthcare but you know. no 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 that's cool you know your time at hopkins you've seen it all right like by the time <laughs> i got there i was you know so my first week was like the zika virus um yeah, yeah. you've seen the zika virus uh, you was there doing Ebola too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you saw yeah. the the first ever. You know, you was amongst the team seeing like the first ever HIV to HIV transplant. Yeah. Um, the penis yeah. transplant. Right. Obviously, COVID. Mm -hmm. What would you say? That's one of the things you noticed in the evolution of the coverage and how people write write about it and talk about it and you know just the evolution of communications throughout your time there man that's an awesome question uh, you know every probably <laughs> <laughs> probably like probably like everything else in the world or in my life anyway 
there's pre-COVID and post-COVID. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's, it has been an, I, I just, I'm, I'm just really happy to have been at hop. So I've been here 10 years. I just got my, uh, it's here somewhere. I just got my, Oh, nice. We're going to do, uh, we usually don't do this on this show, but, um, <laughs> where's, oh yeah, we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah, well, I, I, um, I mean, I, you know, I think it was just kind of, um, you know, it took, it took me a couple of years to just learn the ropes, you know, mm-hmm. um, we were, you know, uh, I, I appreciated the leadership that we had, um, at the beginning, you know, Kim Hoppy and Audrey Wong, um, Audrey, I know Audrey's a big, big, it's big in your world. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a huge she fan I. as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's definitely, <laughs> <laughs> they had, um, they just had a really good process of, um, of kind of letting, letting the professionals do their jobs and letting mm-hmm. us like, okay, so you have a beat, you know, here, here are your beats in the hospital and in the med school and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's up to you to identify the, the interesting stories. Right. And then to, to write press releases and to publicize them. Um, so, I mean, I was just kind of do kept my head down and did that kind of stuff for a little while. But then, you know, Brian, I can't recall if you were there at Hopkins. Um, if, yeah, you were there for Freddie Gray. You were there. No, I was just, I was two, the year before. That was the year before I got there. Okay. I was okay. in Connecticut. Remember I told you the ESPN stories? Watching I it do on, now. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that now. I do. And um, it was a heavy thing because um, mm-hmm. I had brought my, my parents, my dad came up, I, I had brought my dad to Hopkins because um, he had prostate cancer. And he was, he went through treatment, like three months of treatment. And they stayed, they stayed on kind of on campus at Hopkins okay. and Hackerman and Pat's house, these little apartments. And um, I mean, naturally I was really, really worried about my dad and, and kind of preoccupied with his, you know, all that stuff. And then, you know, we happened to be in DC, our, um, our group happened to be in DC for, uh, at the National Press Club for, mm-hmm. si- for the Science Writers Boot Camp. Mm-hmm. on on the day of freddie gray's funeral and um and i was on the train i remember I, we were on the train back and i was sitting with with uh vanessa mcmaines and a couple other people and we were looking at our phones and going like you know man what a great day we just had in dc and the whole thing was great and we're looking at it and it was like whoa did you see this are you seeing it are you seeing it? Like, wow. and then and then you could see from the train a couple you know when the train comes out comes out of the the tunnel a little bit, you know, when you're coming into Baltimore, you mm-hmm. could see that you could see the smoke from coming from, from North Avenue. Um, and, and we got out of the, we got off the train and, and all the cab drivers, this was a little bit before Uber, <laughs> all yeah. the cab drivers at the train station were like, I mean, there suddenly like all this media from DC was getting off our train and running over to the, taking all the cabs. The cab drivers were like, Nope. I'm not taking you there. I'm not, I just came from there. And, you know, I'm, I'm not doing. So it was, um, I mean, that changed everything as far as I can, as far as I'm concerned um, mm-hmm. for kind of the way that we do communications at Hopkins. Um, we changed, we just, we just really, really changed focus. And so the, I just think the evolution, even before COVID, the Freddie Gray stuff became so important. I mean, I, I don't even mean to trivialize it by calling it the Freddie Gray stuff. I know, right? yeah, I know. Yeah, but I, yeah, because you and I are friends, but I don't want to, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. make anybody think that I, it's not serious. But um, so it was. I, I think that that we, our our whole focus and kind of our um, our priorities changed a little bit, and then and so you know all through all through of the the, the difficulties there and just kind of the the upheaval in the city. And then when COVID year, you know, now what, four or five years later when COVID hit, I mean, I, like I said, I've done a lot of stuff in my career and you said, I've done a lot of stuff in my career, but truly, man, that was the hardest. The COVID thing was the hardest challenge. I've, and, and I was doing it from here. This is my house. I was doing it from here, but still, you know, the just enormous loss, you know, 1.1 million people. And, all the uncertainty that we had and all the uncertainty and, you know, 
just worrying for family and worrying yeah. for our colleagues and knowing that, you know, the people that we cover and the, mm-hmm. the, the, the doctors and nurses and friends we've made at the hospital are like seriously in harm's way. Yeah. You know? Um, it was just a lot, you know, it was a lot. So, I mean, it was, a, it, but on the, you know, on the other side of that, we how, suddenly, because of a lot of shaky information that come, was coming from government about, about COVID, and mm-hmm. I don't need to get into that, <laughs> but um, suddenly people were looking to us. I was, you know, our, our media team mm-hmm. was right at the very crux of this stuff with the dashboard and, I mean, you know, I mean, we had experts. You were there too, man. Yeah. I mean, we had, you know, we had the experts that they want, that, that everybody wanted. So, you know, when it was, when they started splitting it up week to week, you know, and maybe you and I would do a week, handle a week, and I would maybe, you know, Rachel and, and somebody else would, you know, I mean, we're, here we are hooking up, you know, BBC in the middle of the night, you know, trying yeah. to get experts like, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was heavy and it was, you know, that was a good 18 months of that, man. It was, it was, it oh, was yeah. full throttle. It was full throttle, man. Yeah. Um, um you know, you know emails, sending out those emails, the weekends. Um, yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was definitely a lot. It, it was, you was doing more work at home essentially than we was in the office. Yeah. Yeah, you know. I still am. I feel like I still am. The whole, mm. it's all changed because we, you know, the day, the day that, the day we had to say goodbye to Mr. Waters <laughs> was a sad day indeed. And I am not blowing smoke either. I'm serious. That was a big loss for us, though. You, I mean, it's clearly the, the right move. But, um, but that, it, yeah, it was, that's when I thought like, okay, time for me to start thinking about maybe. A, move into another team i don't want to mm-hmm. leave hopkins or leave mm-hmm. communications but this media thing is is starting to fry me a little bit oh. and i feel like i mean i've been doing media relations since you know since i since i left the newspaper so mm-hmm. and that's that's a lot of years ago so i thought like all right you know maybe it's time to just focus on the try to focus on the writing thing mm-hmm. and i'm lucky to have bosses and editors who are like okay then we'll make that happen so that's amazing yeah 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 <laughs> we you know i mean yeah it's just been a real it's been a great it's really been a great kind of highlight career highlight i think you know mm-hmm. the last 10 years to get to work at hopkins um, for you know one because it's hopkins but two because of the people and the yeah. friends i've met you know you and and so many others i mean um yeah it's now, yeah talk about the book man okay you know uh no this is also yeah. yeah you wrote a book before um halfway through it uh <laughs> the the baseball book which yeah. is so cool just the you know as somebody who is a baseball fan and then knows you and knows how much you love baseball that's really cool to see you know that put into a story but now you know, you transition and you, this is the one about athletes and diabetes, right? Yeah. And I remember when you told me about this, you know, I'm being excited. So I can't wait to check it out. But <laughs> um, how did this come about? What made you, yeah. like, what made this pique your interest and actually go through with it? Well, um, you know, I mentioned a few minutes ago that we all had beats when we were at Hop, you know, at, at, when we got to Hopkins mm-hmm. and endocrinology, gastroenterology and a couple other ologies were my beats. And, um, and, you know, uh, I didn't know anything about any of them. Tr- I mean, mm-hmm. truly, I don't like, I, I'm, I'm happy to report that I don't have diabetes, mm-hmm. but if I did, if I get it, I'll, I'll know what to do now. Cause I wrote this, I, I worked on this book, <laughs> but one of the, um, you know, one of the docs that I work with a lot, um, Dr. Rita Kaliani, um, she is, she is a legend, man. Mm-hmm. She is, she, you know, um, she like kind of literally wrote the book on how to, how to care for diabetes. She wrote the American Diabetes Association's standard of care in like 2021 or so. I, for, I, I shouldn't say what year, cause I forget exactly, but, um, I mean, you know, and also, you know, much published, um, much, you know, really, really a, a big deal in the field. Um, and, you know, she's also just the, like so many people at, 
Hopkins who could who are big enough deals professionally t- that they could be personally snobs. Mm-hmm. They're not right. She's not like she's a really regular person. Um, yeah. So she asked me. She was like, "Hey, you know, I've been think I've been thinking about a project, and I, I wonder if you want to work on a project with me." I was like, "Yeah, I'd be great. It's an honor to be asked." So she and Dr. Mark Carreri um, are also friends, and he's he's an adjunct at Hopkins, but he um he man what a what a career he's had. He's also an endocrinologist and a diabetes doctor, and he was the uh, the physician to the U.S. Congress and the Supreme Court. He was in the Navy um, for uh, you know he was an officer in the Navy for a long time, okay. in addition to being a, a, a doctor. So um. So yeah, I mean he and he's now in private practice out in Columbia, um, in Columbia, Maryland, and so they had this idea together to like, what if we wrote a book about athletes who have diabetes? Like, and I thought, well, that's going to be a pretty short book, isn't it? Because <laughs> can you be an athlete if you have diabetes? Yeah, and the answer is very much yes. Um, so you know, we just kind of started this journey to find as many like famous you know professional and amateur not mm-hmm. so famous athletes who have diabetes and and interview them and see what see what it's like you know see what see how they manage it and we found some we just we just heard some absolute stunners of stories i mean just like what you know wow. um you know there's a we have an olympic swimmer um gary hall jr who you know, if you watch the Olympics in, you know, starting in Atlanta and then Sydney and then wherever the next one was, but Sydney was his big, was his big one. Okay. You know, he, this guy's won a lot of medals. He's a swimmer. He's won gold medals individually and in relay. Um, after his first, after his first Olympics, which was in Atlanta, where he was very young, but he was, a, he was a hot shot. He won a gold and I think a bronze. Mm-hmm. But he was really going to be big. He was going to be huge in, in Sydney. But like a year and a half or so after Atlanta, he started, he was training for, for Sydney, started feeling sick, started getting run down, didn't understand it, like thirsty all the time, peeing all the time, you know, feeling sick, couldn't get out of bed. And um, there's a real dramatic story that he has about, you know, how he, how he discovered it. And, um, I discovered that he had type one diabetes and he was diagnosed when he was, I guess, 19 or something, maybe 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and how he overcame it to, you know, then win more gold medals in the Olympics and stuff. You know, everybody thought like, nah, I mean, his endocrinologist was like, no, nah, you, you can't do that anymore. You can't be an Olympic swimmer with this disease. And we have so many stories like that. Um, yeah. We have, uh, Jason Johnson, who was the first big league pitcher, first big leaguer to wear an insulin pump on the field, he he pitched for the Orioles and for and for Detroit and for Pittsburgh and for another a few other teams. Um, we have uh, we have um, you know we have like some mountain climbers. Um, we have Mark Andrews from tight, you know all pro tight end for the Ravens. Mm-hmm. He has type one. We have Dominique Wilkins. We talked to him. He has type two. And, and they were all just really, really awesome and candid about their stories. Yeah. Um, we talked to a guy who, uh, we talked to a guy who rode, he didn't just, this dude didn't just ride a bicycle from, from basically Puget Sound, Washington State to Ocean City, Maryland, right? He rode a, <laughs> he didn't just ride a bicycle. He rode a fixed gear bicycle. Wow. From, yeah. <laughs> Right. I'm not talking about a 20 speed or something. It was a fixie. There's one speed on that thing. And the speed is, you know, however fast his legs would go. Um, and it's, you know, and the guy did it. He has diabetes, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of the a lot of the guy, a lot of the um, men and women in the book. We also have uh, Lauren Cox, who won the um, national championship with Baylor basketball, women's basketball a couple of years ago. Um and was in WNBA and I think plays in Europe now. Um, but a lot of them said, I don't have like, like I, I'm succeeding. I'm not in, in succeeding, you know, in spite of having diabetes, I'm succeeding because I have diabetes. Mm. And it's like, wow. He's, it, I mean, yeah, this guy, Sebastian Sasseville, who, who 
you know, I mean, the same kind of thing. Like he walked across the south. He sled. He walked across the South Pole. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Um, he uh, he said, I, you know, I'm lucky. I have a disease. I have a chronic, lifelong disease mm-hmm. um, that forces me to be healthy and forces me to pay attention to my health. And I'm like, well, I guess that's one way to look at it. Yeah, I don't think everybody does look at it that way, but um, but yeah, it's uh. It was a lot of fun to write, and it was so the the structure is you know sort of the stories these athletes stories mm-hmm. um, kind of get broken up, and at the end of the <clears throat> at the end of each section, there's a long part that my colleagues, doctors Caliani and Carreri, um, write and kind of give expert analysis to say like, well, okay, so this is what happens. This is what is happening to um, Mark Andrews' blood sugar as he's playing. As he's you know, oh, taking wow. a big hit against the Steelers, you know what I mean? Yeah, that yeah. that kind of stuff. And you know, um, just it's I mean, it's just it's really interesting to kind of read the the medica the medicine and the science of mm-hmm. of of what it all means. So um it's called Winning with Diabetes. And uh Hopkins Press, Johns Hopkins University Press published mm-hmm. it. It just came out um last week. So we're um we're psyched. Really psyched that it's finally out. Well, we'll definitely put the link to the uh, book so Thanks, people can brother. check it out. Absolutely, Thank absolutely, you. man. Um, one kind. of the things that you know, one of the advices you always gave me was like, <clears throat> excuse me, with the sciences, you know, it's like putting together a puzzle. Yeah, and and you know, discovering everything, and you know, hearing you talk about it like with the book and just throughout your career just brings back, you know, it just kind of like brings back that conversation because. Man, when I had got thrown into the fire and I had to have um shoot, uh pulmonary. I had to have a pulmonary beat. Yeah. Um yeah. that was tough. Shout out to Dr. G. Oh. Uh, <laughs> he was a rock star. Yeah. Uh, he o- always and I still keep in contact with him to this day. Dr. Um, Galliatsato at Johns Hopkins Bayview is man, he's yeah, he's our guy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he's a Twitter star too. <laughs> he is too, man. Yeah, yeah he's a, he's a yeah. Twitter star. So yeah. you know, um, you know. So, but it was like a lot of times I was like, well, all right, "How do I put this together?" And he would always give me great feedback between him, you, and Doctor McMains. Y'all wouldn't like rewrite what I essentially wrote. <laughs> Never, <laughs> you no. know. Yeah. So that was always, yeah. you know, like uh, Rachel was on here several weeks ago, and. You know, we talked about like, you know, putting together in case you missed it. And which was so good. Thank you. Thank you. I I, I really wish that series could have kept going. I <laughs> do too. I do too. Yeah, I hope somebody picked because I I like the idea of educating people about the stories in a you know a short form way. And mm-hmm. you know, especially like people I know that will watch it just because in they're in their twenties <laughs> and they could get a better understanding a lot of times because they didn't have the time to read like the press release or their job didn't necessarily um, right. call for them to read the press release, but they could watch this and like, Oh, I can learn something. You know, it was so, that was a, that was such a great idea and a well executed series. I mean, it was a digest. It was mm-hmm. a, I forget how long it was. It wasn't long. It was like a Two, minute, maybe yeah, Two we minutes. had to keep it in Twitter time before Elon. Yeah. Took over. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Right. So <laughs> in, in, in pre Musk Twitter time, Yep. <laughs> I mean, you used to you used to like, you know, digest kind of just like provide a cool video digest of the best stories that came that came out of our group in the mm. for the week or two. And yeah. oh man, it was that was good. You know, it's funny. I, I can't tell you the number of people who have told me since you were since you left, like, man, whatever happened to that? Because that was really good. Was oh like, wow. Oh. <laughs> I was like, they're both gone now, you know. <laughs> Yeah. You know, Brian and Rachel are going. But, um, <laughs> we're gonna, you know, I think I don't know if we can. I don't want to jump the gun. There's there's some plans to maybe try to make something. It, you know, I'm available for consultations. <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm sure me and Rachel could work out something. You know, we could we could consult mm-hmm. on the project. Help them out. Hopkins like got money. That's, I know that's yeah. yeah. Well, but but yeah. before we get out of here, man, I gotta ask you this question. I always ask everybody: when you look back over your career, when was the moment you broke through the glass ceiling? Um, when you realized, like, 
you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. And essentially you were good at it. Oh, wow, man. That is, I love that. Uh, well, you know, I think, I, like I said before, I got to acknowledge that my glass ceiling was thinner than, than an awful lot of people's glass ceilings. So let me just start there. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there, I, a, a few, a few things come to mind, but honestly, you know, I think it, it really wasn't until I got to Johns Hopkins and I started writing stories for, I started writing stories for this publication called Dome and for, uh, Johns Hopkins magazine, uh, Johns Hopkins medicine magazine. And some other things like that, that where people that I, people that I really respected and really, um, whose, whose opinions meant a lot to me and, and whose work was really impressive, but, but hard to translate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that when they told me, man, you know, I really liked what you wrote because it was a, because you were able to crystallize what, you know, you were able to crystallize the kind of research that we do and the kind of like clinical kaboom stuff that we do into words that, and language that people understand. It really wasn't until that happened that I thought like, you know what, that's, I, because that's who, because that's what I wanted to do. That's what I've really wanted to, you want to write stuff that people read and get something from, mm-hmm. you know, and if somebody can go, wow, okay, cool. I understand that now, you know, I mentioned a minute ago and I, I don't, I don't want to go on and on, but I mentioned a minute ago that, um, I worked at an ad agency for a while to try to make some money and it didn't mm-hmm. work out very well. Um, I say make some money. I mean, you know, we, we make okay salaries, but when you go into that world, you make big money. Um, and I thought like, I thought I, for a long time in my career, I thought I had to try to be somebody other than who I really am. Mm. You know, um, I thought I had to, I thought I had to talk a certain way or be a certain way or, you know, project a certain kind of, you know, professional, thing but it was fake you know what i mean and i thought like and it, and it was and it that was hard it wore me out like at the end of the day you think like okay which guy am i supposed to be am i home guy or i work on my work guy now mm-hmm. and if you can make you know if you can make work guy you're the same guy you are and the guy the person that you you think people like and that your friends like you know make make that happen be that person at work you know yeah, um absolutely. i'm not saying be don't be serious <laughs> Um, you know, but be yourself and, and, you know, if, if, if being yourself in your workplace is not okay, then you're probably in the wrong workplace. And that's, um, you know, (laughs) that's a bar right there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean it. How many times have you interviewed for a job and, you know, you had to like sit and be somebody that, you know, and, and, and you think like, gee, I hope I get the job. But in the back of your mind, you think like, yeah, but I don't really, I kind of didn't like that. I don't like that guy too much or that person who's the boss. Just, you just got to be yourself. And, you know, that mm-hmm. that's, I think that's how you, you get, that's one step in the direction of being happy in your career. Man, I definitely appreciate that, man. And <laughs> appreciate you coming on today. Um, My pleasure. You, you know, you uh, definitely dropped some gems. Especially with that one, <laughs> uh, you, you had a walk off grand slam. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Oh, walk off. That feels good. That's, that might be my first walk off ever. <laughs> I mean, hey, it's like Chris Hoyles back in '96. Uh, I, I remember that vividly. I vividly just because I had just came home from church and A Rod had hit a grand slam earlier. This is when he yep. was a, a baby face, as we say in wrestling. Now he's a heel and he's been a heel um, he's a heel yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Hoyles hits the grand slam and I got a chance to tell him that um he was at the car show and I said hey man you know I'm a big fan of yours and I remember the day you hit a grand slam when your son was born and yeah he's like, oh, yeah. He's like thank you I appreciate that <laughs> that's awesome it went I remember it went over the center field fence you remember mm-hmm. it yeah I mean I can see it it was one of those like 
I think that's got a chance. It, was, it wasn't like he didn't like rip it and like that's gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like, oh, I think that's carrying. And it just yeah. kept going. Yeah, Orioles would beat the Mariners 14 to 13. <laughs> 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 see, like the Mariners was always like my second favorite team because of Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. But especially like when that happened, it was like, <laughs> you know, y'all good, but I want to always want the games to be competitive, but not yeah. too competitive. <laughs> it would suck because years later, the Mariners when um they no hit the Orioles, I was at ESPN and I was actually working with uh Dan Duquette Jr. and <laughs> we were sitting there like and this man's dad was GM was like, yeah, this looks like it's gonna happen. He's like, you want to make a graphic for it? I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was the least enthusiastic no hitter graphic in the history. Exactly. Of ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's great. <laughs> yeah. But man, let the people know where they can find you. Hey, I'm at Smitty at Hopkins on Twitter. That's an easy one. Um, you know, just uh, would love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, and the book is available at Amazon and, and every, all other places like that. Um, it's uh, it's the paperback, I think is like $21. It's called Winning with Diabetes. It's full of athletes that you've heard of and a few that you haven't heard of. Um, and uh yeah, you know, if you've been diagnosed recently or not even too recently or if a family member or something, you know, we think um, we think maybe it uh, it might help uh, sort of let you know that diabetes doesn't have to send you to the bench. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Smith, make sure y'all check him out. Uh, check out his work, too. Um, check out the book. Look, you can Google them and put Johns Hopkins Medicine. You can see some of the cool stories he's written. Make sure you yeah, make sure you put Johns Hopkins in there because there's a lot of Patrick Smiths in the world. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. Just but, like a lot of Brian Waters. That's why I make people play the H. Because <laughs> right, because there's only one Brian H. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Remember, do not let anybody place a ceiling above your success. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. You can support this podcast by going on foryourwear.com. Go to personalities and see Brian H. Waters. There you can get breaking through glass ceilings t-shirt or a hoodie, as well as a no ceilings above success t-shirt. Go to foryourwear.com. Make sure you also check out some of the other podcasters and professional wrestlers as well.